Welcome you to the services of the Boonville Church of Christ. There are some assembled in the building, but I know most of you are joining us on live stream this morning, and we welcome you to this worship service. Uh, we're looking forward to next Sunday when all of you are invited to the building, and Brother Bo Gross will be giving you more details about uh, us reopening for worship service here at the building during the announcements. In our worship service this morning, Brother Chris Langley will be leading our singing. Brother Bo Gross has our opening prayer. Brother Andrew Langley has the scripture reading. Brother Ken Forrest will uh, have the message today focused on Seek and Do, which will be our theme for 2021. Happy New Year. The Lord's Supper will be uh, led by Brother Billy Martin and then Brother Bo Gross will have our closing announcements and closing prayer. Would you bow with me, please? Our loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your blessings. We're so thankful for the opportunities that 2021 provide us. And Father, we truly pray that we would seek to understand your word and be motivated to do it. We love you, Father. We pray that our worship is pleasing in your sight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. The first song uh, of the year is I Am Resolved. It's the best resolution song that I could think of. Uh, so... Um, as we sing this song and begin this year, let's resolve to do what Christ wants us to do. I am resolved no longer to leave
Bible. Give me the Bible, star of Heavenly Father, we are so thankful, Father, for the day that you've blessed us with, for another year that you've blessed us with to live our lives, for everything that you've given us, Father, the, all the physical blessings that you've bestowed upon us, Father, but especially all the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. We pray, Father, for this new year that you would put an end to the pandemic, Father. We pray that you would give us health. We pray, Father, that we as individuals and as a congregation here in Boonville will grow, Father, not only in number, Father, but also in spirit. We pray, Father, for those who are hurting, those dealing with, with the virus, those who are recovering from surgery, Father. Also, Father, we lift up those who may have lost loved ones. We pray that you would comfort them and be with them, and Father, in the way that only you can. But we're so very thankful for everything you've given us, but especially, Father, for the the precious gift of your, of your Son, Father. We know we fall so short of what you deserve, and we pray for forgiveness, Lord. We pray this year we may serve you better, Lord, than we did last year. We pray that we may all grow 
Lord, we thank you for everything you've done with us. We love you so very much, and we thank you and pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Your song before the scripture reading will be free freely, and then after that, scripture reading will uh, have the lesson of the day. After we have a resolution uh, to do what God would have us, we've got the Bible equipped. And this song talks about spreading that gospel into the world. God forgave my sin. statues and audiences in Israel. Good morning to everyone. And yes, it is the first Sunday of the year. And we are anticipating, aren't we, a great year. Yes? 
So we want to start today with that in mind, with a determination to serve God to the fullest extent of our abilities. And yes, we are introducing a theme for the year. Our desire is to seek and do. It's based off of the text that was just read, and I'll be delivering a sermon which will serve as first installment in several lessons, at least one every month that will be dealing with this particular idea. So I want you to think now over the past several months, especially in our our Wednesday night Bible class, we've been talking about our responsibility as disciples. First, we were challenged with the notion of building a great church. And in order to do that, all of us have to be involved. We all have to be doing our part. And there are lots of different aspects to that work, but every single one of us ought to be finding our own niche. There's a particular thing that we can do, maybe that nobody else in this congregation is able to do. We contribute that work, not so that we can receive some acclaim or glory, but that God can be glorified. And when he's glorified and he's happy with us, he'll, he'll grow this church. And we are currently in a study of what it really takes to develop a spirit mentality. And that is the idea, okay, yeah, I'm committed to building a great church. I know that God will bless us, but boy, I just, I really need to have the right heart and the right spirit about it. So Lord, help me to be the kind of servant that you need me to be. Now, the text that was read for us reveals Ezra's heart, the attitude of mind that he had when God had determined to use him for his own purposes, in part, a second phase or a second wave of effort to bring life back to the city of Jerusalem after 70 years of captivity in Babylon. So we're going to be studying this text and some surrounding ideas, looking at Ezra, understanding the heart that he had, and then determining ourselves that We're going to set out right now through the course of this year to seek and to do. Before we start that study, let's let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the blessing of a new day and of a new year. Lord, of course, logically, we know that according to your will, one day follows another. But Father, in our own minds, There is just a sense of renewal when a new year comes. And so, Father, we've been preparing ourselves with an intention that we're going to set our focus on on new things. And if you will grant us another day, and yes, even an entire new year, that we will use it in ways maybe that, that we haven't before, or at least in an intensity that we haven't before, so that we can bring glory and honor to you here in this city of Boonville. We pray, Lord, that you will bless our efforts, help every single member of this congregation to take seriously their responsibility in the body, and, Lord, motivate us in every way possible to seek your will and to do it. Thank you for this text. Thank you for the inspiration that Ezra left behind as a legacy for us and help us to put that into practice in this modern age. In Jesus' name, amen. You notice immediately that Ezra 
was deliberate in what he did. He prepared his heart to seek the law and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. To be intentional was simply an outgrowth of his determination to live this God-purposed life. I want to serve God, and, and I, know, I know I have purpose, but my purpose is a God-centered kind of purpose. Now, I, I'm, going to, I'm just going to make an assumption about the congregation here, that, yeah, all of us have a purpose in life, and, you know, I, I see lots of memes on Facebook and other places where we talk about our purpose, this and that. I have a plan, wh whatever. But there is a God-centered purpose for all of us that fits all of us like a glove. All that's necessary is that we set our mind to follow in the way of the Lord in order to satisfy it, to put that purpose on. Now, Ezra, he had set his mind just like that. His heart was in it. And every action that he took and the results of those actions were clearly focused on that intention, that purpose, that God-centered purpose that he had. Seems to me that when, when you look at Ezra, his life, and the way this text unfolds, that probably as we're starting this process, we got to deepen a few things that maybe, maybe have been in place already, but really, I guess, aren't where they ought to be. We have to deepen the commitments that we have made both to God and to each other. And we've also got to be certain that we are committed to God's purposes and to stewardship. And when I say stewardship, I'm talking about the things God has invested in us. God has made a great investment in you and me, and he's expecting a return. I pray that our study today will help at least fuel that notion of what it is we need to do. And then as the months unfold and the lessons pile up and maybe the, the convictions that are stirred up in us, as, as that stuff happens, by the time we come around to the start of a new year, 2022, we will see a tremendous difference in ourselves. And more importantly, the way God looks at us. He'll see that we are different. Listen, first, I want us to, I want us to deepen our connection to God. That's something we absolutely have to do. Now, I'm thinking about Ezra, and in Ezra, we're looking at chapter 7. In chapter 7, the first five verses, boy, interesting little text. It will remind you of some texts from the Old Testament scriptures. Remember, you're reading through, and all of a sudden, it's like there's a pause, and you get this huge, long genealogy. Somebody's name is mentioned, and then God just reveals how they're connected with everybody else. And you're like, wow, you know, I, I appreciate that, but what difference does that make for me to know that so-and-so begot so-and-so? Here in this text, first five verses of this chapter, in introducing Ezra, his entire lineage, at least the important aspects of that, are laid out. And what we find out is that Ezra, the scribe, has come from a family of priests. And Ezra could trace his line, his family, his, his godly heritage, all the way back to Aaron, who was the first high priest. Anybody who read that would have been like, boy, that Aaron, he has got some kind of pedigree. 
I mean, he comes right, from, right down from Aaron, a descendant of the high priest, the, 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 the brother of Moses. Wow, we need to listen to that guy. Thinking about godly heritages for a moment, I, w- I was wondering, do you, have a, do you have a heritage like that? I know some folks, they come from what, what we've come to term a Christian family. And they'll say, yeah, you know, my parents and my grandparents, oh, they were all members of the church. I grew up in a Christian home, went to a Christian school, that sort of thing. That, hey, that's a great godly heritage. I look at my own life. I, I didn't really think about it that much growing up, but I knew I was in a Christian home. And one day we were just talking about family and so forth. And turns out I'm a fifth generation Christian. And now I know my children, they're, they're sixth generation Christians. And my hope is that the grandchildren that should be coming this year, yay! that they'll be a seventh-generation Christian. Wow! You know what all that means for me, personally, me? Well, it it makes me feel good that God's in their life, but honestly, honestly, your pedigree, that doesn't mean anything for you. Oh, you might have been brought up in a Christian home, but all of us know folks brought up in Christian homes who... When they got out of that home, they didn't remain faithful. It didn't matter if they had six generations or 20 generations of Christians. It all came down to their actions. I think about Psalm 128. It begins this way. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. He doesn't say blessed is everyone who comes from a big, long line of faithful, godly people. No, not like that at all. What God is looking at is, what's what what I'm doing? He's looking at me. Pedigree is great. It's great to be brought up in a Christian home, but what good is that if that influence bears no reflection in my own heart? What really matters is another kind of pedigree. And that is the one into which, if you're a child of God, that you and I and others like-minded have entered into. Paul describes that in the book of Romans, chapter 8, beginning at verse 14. He said, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Wait, question, in us who? Well, in us who have that spiritual pedigree, who have all been born of God, who are sons of God, led by the Spirit of God, made possible through Jesus Christ. Oh, I I love, don't you, that kind of connection with God. 
I also think that we have to deepen our connection to each other. Now, there's an interesting thing about Ezra that's revealed in these texts, and that is that Ezra was an incredible inspiration to everybody else around him. Uh, Verses 6 and 7 describe it. Here is Ezra, you know, a part of that exiled people who goes before the king, and the text reveals that every single thing, I mean, everything, both great and small, that Ezra asked for, the king gave him. And then not only that, as Ezra is preparing the second wave of refugees to go back to Jerusalem, it isn't just that, yeah, you know, we'll just take some volunteers and hope for the best. It goes through a long list of individuals who have specialized skills and are are important for the development of of Jerusalem and and the far-reaching territory that was a part of Judea, and especially of reinstituted worship to God. It is like Ezra just had this power over people. In fact, that power is described in six verses, two chapters. Chapter 7 at verse 6, at verse 9, at verse 28, and chapter 8 at verse 18 and 22 and 31. And the thing that all those verses have in common is this phrase. The hand of the Lord was upon him. Now, in some verses, it it will be from the standpoint of Ezra, it says, well, the the hand of the Lord was upon us. And right there, don't miss it, us includes not only Ezra who believed that God's hand was on him, but also everybody else under Ezra's influence. It is just like when Ezra had committed himself to God, had made that connection, and had done so deeply that everything that he did, every word he spoke, was under the direction of God, and it was having success. So much so that it motivated him. It built up a will and a determination in him that could not be stopped. And so 5,000 of these people are convinced to go back to Jerusalem. You know, that wasn't a small thing. Jerusalem, for the most part, was still in tatters, and so there would be a lot of work to do. But just getting to Jerusalem was going to be a difficulty. It's not like today. You know, if I were to go to Tupelo or Corinth, I'd just hop on 45 here and I'm there in just a few minutes. Not so in that time. You've got wagons, you've got children, you've got uh, old folks, you've got a mass of people that are having to travel on dangerous roads. And if it were only the territory itself, the topography, if it were only that, that would be big enough. But there are thieves and robbers along this and also the enemies, the nations around, really, really hated to see this migration back to Jerusalem. And they did everything that they could to thwart that effort. But Ezra, resolved in his own heart with a will and determination, led 5,000 people some 900 miles in around four months to get to Jerusalem. You say, well, yeah, clearly God's hand was on them. But 
Ken, as much as I would like to connect with people like Ezra did and, and have that influence over them and be an inspiration to them, I, you know, I'm, I'm not like Ezra. Ezra's uh, described as a scribe, and so he knew the Word of God uh, frontwards and backwards. He, he, he was a great speaker of God's Word. And, hey, I get that. He can motivate people because he knew what he was saying, and, and he could speak it with clarity. And, and that's how he inspired people. And not to mention the fact, as, as you already mentioned, Ken, that God's hand was on him. What about me? Well, you notice from some of those texts, it wasn't just Ezra. Ezra's influence then spilled onto the lives of others. And the Lord's hand was on them too. I don't think that stopped. I think when I seek to do the will of the Lord, the Lord will bless that work. You say, well, I'm like Moses. I can't speak it. I'm incapable maybe, or, or I'm shy and reserved. Well, what can I do? You know what you can do? You can still live as a reflection of that word. Be a reflection of Jesus in the life that you live. You think that doesn't have powerful influence? I'll, I'll use an example, one maybe you wouldn't have thought of to use. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, Wives, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arrange your hair, putting on fine gold or apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of the Lord. Now, what's happening here in this text? Here is a Christian woman who wants to win her husband to Christ. How does she do it? Well, at least in, in that setting, she, she would have been afraid to maybe broach the subject with a non-believing husband for fear that there might be some kind of retribution or harm done to her. The text says, I, I don't expect you to do that. You know, you don't have to submit yourself to the Lord and then walk in and announce to your husband, you must become a Christian. Or, you know what, I, I know that you're against what I'm doing with Christian. Let me sign you up with, for a Bible study. And you're going to sit here and I'm going to have the preacher come over here and he's, you're just going to sit there and be quiet and listen to him. <laughs> Nothing like that. He says, here's what you do. You win him with a, that quiet spirit that you have, that, that submissive, that godly disposition that you have. And you have that, why? Well, in effect, you understand because the hand of the Lord is upon you. You're the child of God. The influence of God is in your life. You have not seen this person that you're married to as a conquest. You see them as an opportunity, a soul to be saved. Not just winning an argument, but sharing the love and the grace of God in the life of someone that you love and hope to win for Jesus. Making connections with people, hey, that's great. You have that gift of gab and you can talk a mile, an hour, uh, a, mile uh, a minute, then great. Win them for Jesus. But many, it's just by the, it's just by the, the influence, the example of a life that's lived in reflection of Jesus himself. We've got to get deeper into that, deeper connections with each other. And then third, we have to deepen our commitment to God's purposes. Hey, listen, I, I know we might have our own purposes we're committed to. We have goals that we have set. Listen, 
the thing that's important for us to remember is that when it's all said and done, the only thing that matters is God's purposes. And the sooner we align ourselves with that, the better. Now, this text also reveals something in verse 6 about Ezra. I mentioned it quickly a moment ago, but Ezra was a scribe. In fact, the text says that he was a skilled scribe. Now, technically speaking, a scribe was one who was the writer of the Word of God. And so, you know, just describing their work, they would take an original copy or a confirmed copy uh, one maybe that had already been worked on before, and then they would just make a copy of that. They'd sit in tedious um, dedication, just writing one letter after the other, perfectly as much as was humanly possible, replicating what they found written already. So hours and hours and hours with the Word of God. But you can imagine that spending that much time writing the Word of God that eventually, over the course of time, not only would the Word of God be written on your heart, you'd probably memorize that text, but also understanding comes with that absorption into the Word of God. And so you have become a scholar of God's Word. I've got to, as much as is in me, make, make a level of commitment to God's purposes that's very similar to what Ezra was doing now. You may not have 24 hours a day or the majority of your day to spend copying God's Word or, or sitting and, and reading God's Word. Maybe that's not a practical thing for you, but my question is, how much are you spending already? You know, what is it that you are doing? I think about Ezra and his application to the Word, and then I come over to the New Testament in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, and I find this that the child of God, specifically Timothy, but by extension all of us, are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, the word is not something that's a stranger to us. And so when we open it up, we're able to accurately divide it or dispense that word so that others can understand it. But why is it that I'm able to do that? Well, it's because I've spent time in the word already. Study, or another translation has it, be diligent to show yourself approved unto God, a workman. And the word that's translated workman there describes a person who practically just takes their sleeves and rolls them up to get into the Word. Have you ever thought of your own Bible study like that? As though you had just rolled your sleeves up and it's like, I'm getting ready to to make some sweat as I am going to study the Word of God. Wow! Why would I give that much interest to it? Well, for one thing, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, that that word that you are digging into or mining is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I'm digging into something that's already alive. And that word, when it's alive in us, and it digs deep into our hearts, as this word here from Hebrews 4.12 indicates, then I can know with an assurance that what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, is true. 
that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Verse 17. I know that digging in, rolling up those sleeves, and getting into the Word of God can have the same impact in this time as it had in, in Ezra's time. And I'm confident of that. You say, well, Ken, you know, we need that, that's for sure, because this world is so ignorant of the Word of God. Listen, if I've heard that once, I've heard it a thousand times about how ignorant the world is of the Word of God. And I see it, right? I see the trends in our society that are unrestrained anymore. Hardly anybody will stand up and say, no, that's not right. Everybody's afraid to take stands like that. And so we make that declaration. The world is ignorant of the Word of God. Okay. Let's just say that's true, and I believe it is true. Then how am I affecting that? Because ignorance is just lack of knowledge. The world has a lack of knowledge concerning the Word of God. Believe it. But how do I impact that? Now let's get personal here. If it were up to you right now, I mean, we just stop, boom, make an examination. Will this help? Will this person help bring about knowledge in the world concerning God's Word? Let's just stop and let's ask you this question. What about your pattern of studying the Word of God? If everybody in the world studied the Word of God like you do, would it be ignorant anymore? Would it be informed? If everybody prayed like you pray, would the world be a different place now? What if the world gave like you give? Would it be a more loving, benevolent sort of world? If the world sang and offered up praises to God like you do, would that make a difference? Would anybody be afraid to mention God anymore? Probably not, right? Because they're like you. You say, world's ignorant of the Word of God. Okay, great. But don't be offended here. Just contemplate the question. Is it possible we're not as informed in the Word of God as we ought to be? Here's an important point, right? I, I want to be like Ezra. You know, I, w I want to make a difference in this world that I'm living in. So what is it that I could do? What can I be committed to? I would suggest to you that we ought to deepen our commitment to stewardship. You say, stewardship? Ken, honestly, I don't like to hear that word because every time I hear the word stewardship, they're starting to talk about I need to increase my contribution or something. That's not what I'm talking about. That's certainly an application of it and probably an indication of the heart that you have regarding, and here's the thing, what God has put into my hands, what I've become a steward of. You don't have to have two pennies to rub together to be a steward of God. In fact, you may have no money at all. And 
it's hard to imagine, but even if you have no possessions at all, but you are a child of God, God has invested a lot in you. And he's expecting that ad, that investment is going to pay off. Ken, you lost me right there. How can I be a steward of something of which I have no possession? Whoops, stop. Didn't I say child of God? If you're a child of God, you are a steward at least of what led you to become a child of God. Someone taught you the word of God. And when you learned that word of God, it became a part of you. And now... Okay, wrap your brain around this. You are a steward of that word. Okay, so here's Ezra. Here's what Ezra says. Or at least what's described of him. That he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. And to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Okay, here's where we are and here's what I'm hoping as an outgrowth of all these lessons that we're going to be going through in the course of a year. We're kicking this idea off today. Here's what I want us to do. Despite how it has been or where I find myself right now, I'm going to commit myself now to seeking, to studying, to knowing the Word of God. And then not only that, just because I know it, that doesn't mean anything's changed. So I'm going to know it. I'm going to study it. I'm going to know it. it's going to be on my heart. And then I'm going to do it. In other words, I'm going to learn what I need to know. And then I'm going to act on it. Okay, and then this. Because you do not live in a vacuum. You are influenced by other things and you influence other things. We're together. We bump into the lives of other people all the time. So next step is the same step that Ezra took. So he sought the law of the Lord. He did it. That's personal. I'm responsible to act in a certain way. And then he taught it. He taught statutes and ordinances or laws in Israel. Here's what we do. Just like Ezra, we're going to learn, we're going to make application, and then we're going to teach that to somebody else. Okay, now, here's the thing. Back in Ezra's time, there was Ezra. There was Ezra. The people didn't have Bibles they could carry around. What they learned, they learned from Ezra. Ezra read the law to them. They heard it, they were instructed about it, then they had to first kind of gather that up. What does that mean to me? Uh, did he say this or he say that? Boy, I have lots of questions. They had to really work hard in order to grasp the Word of God that was handed out in just little chunks. Listen, Ezra was alone in that. And then he had other agents who could replicate the things that he was doing. But here's my point. There are way more Ezra's today than there were in Ezra's time. My point there then is you are Ezra. So if you're going to be the Ezra of today, then you're going to seek the law of the Lord, you're going to do it. Yeah, it's going to transform me, but I'm going to share that with somebody else. And when we do it, we will have taken up for ourselves our own God-ordained ministry. Our own responsibility will have been secured. And then we'll make our connection with God and with each other, and we will be absolutely committed to God's purposes, and to stewardship. Whatever God has put into my hands, 
If it's only the Word of God, then I'm going to share it. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for your Word that's so powerful and in a lot of ways is just indicting. Lord, I, I pray as for myself, Ken, that you will help me always to speak your truth and to, to take it wherever it leads to. And Lord, if it makes us uncomfortable and you know, challenges where we are right now, it's so easy to get comfortable, but the challenges where we are and, and, and calls for us to do something different, then I'm praying right now, Lord, that you will, you will give us the courage and the strength and energy to make the changes that we need to make. If that is a matter of our initial entrance into the body of Christ, and I pray those who have come to know who Jesus is will with courage and resolution make the good confession, have repented of their sins, have their sins washed away in the blood of Jesus through baptism. And when they rise up, I pray that they'll see a lot of committed Christians around them that will help to fashion them to be the child of God that you want us to be. And Lord, for those of us who have already put on Christ, I pray that, that we will be invigorated and, and set our minds not just to know your will and to eradicate the ignorance of your will that's around us, but to do that word and to be a great example and to teach it. Lord, just give us a fire and a zeal for that. And thank you for your word that it can touch our hearts the way it does. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to this point in our worship service, we are now going to begin to focus on the Lord's Supper. Uh, this song is typically sung as an invitation song, but let's allow it to remind us back to those days when we didn't have Jesus and what he did for us and for others uh, who may not know Jesus. Uh, maybe this will encourage you to do something about it. Do you know my Jesus?
Getting together your emblems for the Lord's Supper. I'll be reading this morning from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. My Bible says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. A lot of times we just associate the Lord's Supper with all the sorrow, but we need to meditate on the cross and remember the joy of his death for the remission of sin. Let us pray for the bread. Our kind and loving Father, we bow in remembrance of your son, remembering his virgin birth, remember his perfection of life, remembering his vicarious death, remembering his promise to come again. We pray, Father, that we take this bread, which represents the body, that we do so in a manner that's pleasing and acceptable to thee. These blessings we ask, in Christ's name we pray, amen. Now let us bow again for the cup. Father, we come to thee again with bowed heads, Father, just thanking thee for all the many blessings of life, for your son, Lord Jesus, for what he's done for us, what he will do for us, and what he's currently doing in our lives today, Father. We pray that as we take of this cup, which represents the blood that Staying the old rugged cross, that we would do so in a manner pleasing to thee. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This concludes the Lord's Supper. Uh, we now give thanks for all our blessings of life and the contribution, there's many ways to give your contribution to the church. You can drop it off here at the church. You can go online and do that, or you're welcome to drop it by the bank. Let us pray. Father, we're so thankful for all the many blessings of life, the strength that you give us each and every day. Father, we pray that we'll always be the stewards that you would have us to be of all our possessions, whether we have many or few. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. A few announcements this morning before we're dismissed. We are very saddened to announce that Bruce Quizrell passed away this morning. Uh, we have no details about his funeral arrangements yet. This is the nephew of JT and Linda Beard. We're very excited and thankful to announce that Joy Pittman was restored this past week. I encourage you to reach out to him and encourage him in any way you can. As Brother Jim announced as we welcome this morning, we are planning to meet here in the auditorium next Sunday morning, January 10th. The 
We have two services. There will be an 8.30 service where the mask is required, and there will also be a 10.30 service where masks are recommended. And then we'll meet again uh, Sunday night at 5. We'll have two classes, uh, one in the annex where the mask will be required, and we'll have one here in the auditorium. Again, we recommend everybody to wear their mask. January the 12th, uh, the ladies' Bible class will be resuming at 9.30 in the morning. Also, the following day, January the 13th, we'll have our Wednesday night services at 7 p.m. There will be normal Wednesday night services. That is all the announcements as I, as I, as I, that I have this morning. If you will bow with me, we'll be dismissed. Father, we are so very thankful again for this morning that you've given us to study another portion of your word, to worship you, Lord, to, to take the communion, Father, and to think back to the cross. We are so very thankful. We pray that we may never take these blessings for granted, that we have the ability to, to worship you, Father. Lord, as we, as we go through this new year, start this new year, we pray that we may seek you, that we may strive to do your will, to, to be workers in your kingdom, Father, striving to, to please you and to spread the gospel no matter where we may go. We pray for those who are hurting, Lord, those who are sick. We pray again for this, this congregation that we may all grow in spirit and in truth, Father. We love you, and we ask for forgiveness. In Christ's name, amen.